Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark, Episode 9. The knife pushed ever so slowly into the fatty portion of the man's stomach. Even as sharp as it was, it still managed to meet resistance and there was a crunching noise of steel tearing through meat. The blood was immediate, dark, dark red blood that flooded in a way that could only be death. No way was that poor guy going to survive being stabbed like that. Too much blood, too big a knife. His open mouth only revealed the slightest of a gurgle. No screams. The pain was way beyond that. Nathan wondered if that was what it was like to really see someone get stabbed in the gut. Things in the movies were so real. But then again, people used to think that those old black and white movies of people traveling in space were realistic looking too. It didn't matter. The movie was boring. He pushed stop and ejected the DVD. Besides, Debbie and his mother would be back for the ritual Saturday morning grocery shopping at any minute anyway. He wanted to help unload the groceries. Not that he did that before Debbie came to live with them, but, well, now things were a little bit different. He'd hate for her to know how much of a slouch he really was. Hopefully his mother wouldn't tell her. She had a way of letting things like that out. It was still early. The temperature had dipped down into the 20s, but the high was predicted to be in the mid-40s with clear skies. The long-awaited estate sale would be accompanied by good weather. Nathan secretly laughed at the term estate sale. That's the way it had been listed in the paper. Why didn't they just call it what it was? A big garage sale. The only difference to him seemed to be that the garage sale was when people wanted to get rid of their junk, and an estate sale was when someone died and the dead person had to get rid of their junk. Either way, this was a big day. The goal wasn't to make money, really. It was more to dispose of the property. And if there was a little clash to be made, fine. There was only ten days left before the new owners would be moving in. The plan to keep the price reasonable so the house would sell fast worked perfectly. Noon to five on Saturday and Sunday would be all the time set aside to dish out what had taken Debbie's parents a lifetime to acquire. Ten hours to liquidate a lifetime. Nathan had spent hours and hours helping Debbie decide what to keep and what had to go. Surprisingly to him, she really didn't want that much. Some pictures, some of her mom's jewelry and her dad's cufflinks. That was really it. She didn't even want to keep the walkie-talkies they had used to communicate late at night. Nathan seemed to have some sentimental attachment to them, but if Debbie got rid of hers, what good would one do? Not much. So they were up for sale, too. The more they could go, the better. That was the thought. That just left fewer things that they had to haul away and figure out what to do with. So like the house, the prices were set low. The large pieces of furniture went first, 
In the first couple of hours, in fact, the living room furniture and most of the bedroom furniture, except for an odd nightstand with uneven legs and the dining room table, had gone. Before the day was over, her father's desk, bookshelves, and various lamps had also gone. All that would be left for Sunday were some books, dishes, and knickknacks. In order to assure they sold too, Debbie and Miss Calhoun spent several hours Saturday night marking the price down on those items. Included in that were the Woggy Talkies. Originally, they had cost over $100, but now could be had complete with battery charger for 12 bucks. And on Sunday, most of the things went. There wasn't much left at all. What was left was loaded in a rented Ryder truck and hauled down to the Salvation Army thrift store. By Monday morning, all that remained was an empty house across the street. Snow, only an inch or two deep, still managed to hang on in the yard where the shadow of the house stood most of the day. The large pine trees, two of them in the front yard, made a peculiar sound as the winter breeze mingled with their needles. The sound was oh so familiar, yet somehow empty now. Their scent filled the crisp winter air just as it always done. The orange and white tabby cat still trotted down the sidewalk to his home, two doors down. The occasional car still passed by with the familiar faces in some, strangers in others. All of them bundled to protect themselves from the chill of winter as they scurried along to their destinations unknown. Things change, or do they? Did Debbie's parents go on only in another way like the people in the neighborhood went on after the plane crashed? Nathan's thoughts were deep and fueled by heroin as he shot it daily now. He covered so well. Debbie was more than willing to give him the cash to support his habit. After all, she was loaded now. She liked to float and liked him floating with her. He in his way and her in hers. Nathan tried hard not to be outwardly pleased with the large amounts of cash Debbie now had access to. It was hard, though. She was free with it as it started to come rolling in. Suggestions of her paying rent were coldly rejected by the Calhouns, but her insistence on helping with the grocery bill seemed to oddly be met with little to no resistance. He had to work at being uncaring about the cash. It was almost like he had to pretend not to be thrilled that his girlfriend was loaded and had access to enough money to do just about anything they wanted to do. People were going to find out about it too. And Nathan felt like it was his duty to protect her, especially from some creep that might try to play some little game and try to squeeze a little cash out of her. The more he thought about it, the more he realized how possible that really was. She was kind at heart, and easily could be taken advantage of. He knew she wasn't totally ignorant to the fact that she now was rich, 
Once she had even joked about him changing his name to Hunter. It's more preppy, she would tell Nathan. Fits the lifestyle more. But those were words that seemed to be coming from a girl who really didn't care much about the money anyway. What she cared about, he cared about. No way was he going to tell her about the comments that were going on around school about how he was dating his sister. Kind of cruel. And it was intended to poke fun at him, but not technically true, even though his parents had legal custody of Debbie. Nathan figured she probably fell under the category of stepsister only if there was a relation by marriage. She just lived in the same house. No relation. Not yet, anyway. Those comments and other cruel little tidbits might very well be waiting to slam her in the face when she returned to school. People trying to be nice would say the wrong thing. They'd stumble over their words after they'd realized a stupid comment had slipped out. He loved the way Debbie was learning to handle those situations. Instead of speaking up and helping the person out of their mess, she'd just look at them and not say anything. Make them squirm. Maybe after putting that into practice a few times at school, people would just leave her alone. That's what she really wanted. She sat nervously on the couch next to him as they watched an old Alfred Hitchcock DVD. Not bad for a movie made 50 years ago, thought Nathan. Debbie was somewhere else. The joint she smoked an hour ago was beginning to lose its grip on her, and the reality of going back to school in the morning was making her fidget. He asked her what was wrong, knowing full well what the problem was. Nothing, she responded, as people who are bothered by something always say first, unless it's Debbie talking to Mr. Marshall. Nathan wasn't Mr. Marshall. You're nervous about going to school tomorrow. His eyes never left their focus on the TV screen as a killer was working to cover his tracks in classic Hitchcock style. Maybe a little, she said. She pulled her legs up Indian-style on the couch and leaned her head over until it rested on Nathan's shoulder. Nothing's changed, Debbie. Only the way that you see things has changed. I've been thinking about that, said Nathan. How can you sit there and say that, that nothing's changed, quipped Debbie. The comment itself was harsh, but her head never left his shoulder, and her voice was soft. Nathan waited. He didn't want to miss the next crucial moment in the movie. When it passed, he responded finally to a patiently waiting listener. It's like this, he started. When this was happening, when you were finding out and then going through the funeral and all of that, life went on for other people. School went on too. Yeah, but I wasn't there, she said. That's my point. Life went on, said Nathan. Now you're taking a step toward jumping back into it. I know all that, she said. Still, I'm nervous. She reached up to pull Nathan close to her, but as she did, she was met with no, no, no from Mrs. Calhoun, who had slipped into the room. Now you two lovebirds know the rules. None of that around here. 
The rules about being overly affectionate had been clearly stated when Debbie moved in by Mr. Calhoun in his stern way and Mrs. Calhoun in her more playful way, but the bottom line was they both meant business. Mom, said Nathan, this is my girlfriend, okay? Girlfriend. We're not hurting anything. Nathan, she responded in a tone of voice that Debbie had never heard before as she held up both hands and cocked her head like she was refusing to get into it with him. The message was clear. This was an issue she wasn't going to budge on. Her pink house coat with fluffy fake pink fur on the collar and sleeves almost touched her bright blue slippers with silver glitter stars on them. Debbie had never seen Miss Calhoun with her flaming red hair piled up on top of her head. It gave her a real uncomfortable feeling to see her like that. It was like she was out of place sitting there on the couch with Nathan. Mom, we're not going to stop holding hands just because she lives here now, said Nathan. You weren't holding hands, Mrs. Calhoun shot back. Debbie quickly removed her head from Nathan's shoulder and sat up to where she wasn't even touching up against him anymore. Act your age, she shot at Nathan, wagging her finger this time like a mother scolding a two-year-old. We are, said Nathan loudly. Don't forget the little conversation you and your father had, said Mrs. Calhoun, as her parting shot. With that said, she left the room to do whatever middle-aged women in bright pink housecoats do. Apparently, there's been a conversation I don't know anything about, said Debbie. What do you mean, asked Nathan. He was a little more than just put out that he had lost the feel of the movie. With your dad? Your mother mentioned something about a conversation with your dad. Yeah, no big deal, he said. Just typical dad telling son the dangers of a raging hormone. You didn't tell me about that. What did he say? Asked Debbie. Well, if you really must know, he told me hands off. That's really about it. Hmm. So what would he do if, well, if we didn't keep our hands off each other? What would he do then? Come on, Debbie, stop it, said Nathan. No way he was going to tell her that he threatened to end their living arrangement if that looked as if it was going to be a problem. She was dangerously close to figuring it out, though. Did he threaten to make me leave here, she asked. I didn't say that. You didn't have to, she responded. You're drawing conclusions, Debbie, that aren't... Nathan, what else could it be, she said. He didn't say anything. The silence was deafening like the reality of a fact that no one wants to know is true, and it becomes so very true. It hurt both of them. Where would I go if I had to leave here, Nathan? You're not going anywhere, Debbie. Now stop it, okay? No, seriously, think about it for a minute. Where would I go? I have no family. Would your dad really put me out like that? Of course not, answered Nathan. Then why would he say he would? 
I'm not saying that he did, Debbie. You're just assuming that he... He did say that, she interrupted. You just didn't have the heart to say it. She moved back next to him and put her head on his shoulder. This is all so strange feeling, she said. I know, he responded. No, you don't know, Nathan. There's no way you could possibly know how this feels. Well, maybe you're right, he said. I am right. If something were to happen to your parents, you have family out in California, right? Yeah, but wouldn't they take you, she asked. Nathan shrugged his shoulders. He liked the feel of Debbie's long hair moving against his face. I suppose they would, he said. He put his arm around her and snuggled even closer. Can we sneak out, she asked. You want to, he said, smiling. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight unless I smoke a joint, she said. Come on with me. Nathan trotted off and Debbie heard mumbling like he was talking to one or both of his parents. He quickly returned. I told them we were going to take a walk. Dad said it's in the 20s, so you better bundle up. First, they went off in different directions, Debbie dressing warmly, and so did Nathan. Each grabbed their escape of choice from where it was hidden in their rooms, and they met at the front door. It was cold as they stepped outside and shut the door behind them. Cold and dark. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.